Everybody loves a story, don't you? And as, as Kate is leading us through reading the Bible, what we see is story after story after story about people who were following God. And we learn so much from a story. I can just tell you the facts about a situation, but you can just pick up so many things about life from a story. Now, here's where this becomes about you and not about characters in the Bible. God is writing your story. Your life is a story that is being written. But God is not writing that story all on his own. You are the co-author of your story. And I don't know if you've thought about that. That you and God are working together to write the story of your life. That's what's being, that's what's being laid out for you day by day. Now one of the things when we read stories, some of us can't take the excitement and we have to flip to the back of the book to find out how it comes out. And then we can go back and read page by page and learn all the details. Most of us want to do that with life, right? Like I know today or right now, but what about tomorrow or next week or five years from now? I don't know. And so that's why we have the book of Revelation. I can tell you how your story finally ends. I can't tell you between today and that day every step and turn you'll take, but I can tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it all works out. Now, where are we at now? So, you know, I'm pretty big into self-analysis. I, Of course, me personally, I analyze everything, maybe overanalyze everything. But I think it's important for you to take an assessment of yourself. And if you were to examine your story, the story you're living today, does it have a theme? Do you know what it is? Does it have chapters and books? Yes, it does. Now, do you, are you aware of those? Do you know what's being written? And, uh, of course, I've... Lord of the Rings... This is a long thing, so I put it up there. Sorry it's so long. This is um, Sam talking to Frodo. You know, it ends up by saying, what kind of story have we fallen into? So read along with me. Sam is saying, we shouldn't be here at all. If we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures as I used to call them. I used to think they were things that wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. Um, but that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect that they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as they just went on, and not all to a good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same like old Mr. Bilbo. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder, 
What sort of a tale have we fallen into? And I think that's a really good question for you to ask yourself. What kind of a tale have you fallen into? You remember the Lord of the Rings, these little guys from The Hobbit had this ring and they're on this massive quest and they have no idea what they're into. And I would suggest your story is the same way. That you are on a massive quest and most of us have no idea how we got here or why or why we're still here and it looks like every day that turning back and going home would be the the easier simpler quote better choice but in our hearts we know that's not true so we keep pressing on into the story do you know what kind of tale you've fallen into what is your story so i thought it'd be fun to take a look at least of one story and there's like I said, tons of stories in the Bible. But uh, there was a man named Jacob who became Israel. He was renamed. And when he was old, uh, he had a new son in Genesis 37. Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So remember, I told you that a story's being written, and God is writing part, and you are co-authoring. So just taking a look here, what part of this story did God write? Well, Joseph didn't choose his mother and father. Joseph didn't choose his birth order. Joseph didn't choose that his father Jacob favored him. God wrote those parts of the story. See, your story has parts like that that were not of your choosing or doing. You ended up in your family with your brothers and sisters in the town that you live in. You were provided for the way your family provided for you. God wrote that part of the story, right? But then as we go on, we see that it's not just that God writes the story. Joseph wrote a part of the story too. See, Joseph was hated by his brothers. Now, all these stories... A good story starts like this. There's a time of peace. And then something comes that disrupts that peace. And then the story is about the resolution of that peace, returning things back to the way they should be, or maybe not back to the way they should be, but just to the way they should be. And, of course, that's what we see in the story of Joseph. Uh, but he was hated by his brothers. One of the reasons Joseph was hated by his brothers is because he was his father's favorite. Now, if you're your father's favorite, that's a good thing. You like that. But if you're not, you don't like that. And so Joseph's brothers didn't like that either. And then in verse 5 of Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So, you know, people say that just because you know something doesn't mean you should say something. You ever heard that? Sometimes we think 
that just because it's true and just because I know it, then I have license to say whatever I want to say, right? Here's a good example of somebody who should have not shared. He overshared, right? So Joseph had this dream and found out that he was going to rise above his brothers. And of course, the first thing he did was run out and tell all of his brothers that they, their sheaves were going to bow down to his. Now, that's not the way it worked in Jewish culture. The firstborn oldest son, he was the favorite. Except the Bible is full of times where God did not choose the favorite. He chose somebody else and made them favorite. So here we see Joseph is writing part of the story himself. God brought the dream, and then Joseph co-authored part of it and, and shared the story. Now, I think we all would jump to the conclusion that God's writing the good part of the story, and we're writing all the conflict and the mess of the story. And that's not what I'm saying at all. You have the ability to make bad choices and do stupid things. But that doesn't mean you always do. And that voice in your head that says you always do, you need to shut that down. Because you don't always make mistakes. You can make mistakes, but you don't always. And Joseph didn't always make mistakes either. Now, if you're interested, you should keep reading in Genesis and you can see all the details. I'm going to kind of flip through the story quickly. So, uh, so Joseph's brothers hated him. He had another dream and told that and they hated him even more. And then his brothers were off taking care of the flocks and Joseph went out to find them. Now, I don't know why Joseph wasn't with them in the first place. I suppose it's because he's the favored son. He got to stay back at the house. But he wanders around looking for them, can't find him. Somebody else says, try over here. And he wanders over there. Now, it was, it is, it was interesting to me when his brothers saw him coming from a long way off. So apparently, either Joseph's ornate coat or his arrogance or something, but they recognized him from a long way. And as soon as they saw him, his brothers planned to kill him. But his oldest brother said, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just kidnap him and sell him. And his older brother said that he, his intent was he was going to return him back to his father. But what happened was his brothers found him. They threw him in a well. They took the coat and dipped it in blood. They told his dad that he died. And they sold Joseph off into slavery. Now... Part of the thing about your story, as you examine your story, you'll see that you, you had a name and then something happens and you get a new name. Like Joseph started out as the favored son and, and now he's a slave. See the disruption of peace in his life? He was, he was the favored son, he became a slave. And then he ended up in Egypt where he was working for a man named Potiphar. And um, now, he had this really nice coat, and he had the love of his father. And the twists and turns of the story end up taking things away from us that we used to have, like our innocence and our hope and our dreams. And he ended up down in Egypt working for Potiphar, where um, he was a faithful slave. He worked hard. So Potiphar put him in charge of the house. And, and so the slave became the housemaster. 
And, and, and then the next chapter of the story, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. And she chases him around the house. And he's a, Joseph, although he's a slave, is a man of integrity. So he runs off. And, of course, she's spurned and embarrassed. So she claims that he raped her. And now Joseph, who was the master of the house, is thrown in prison. <laughs> and there he is in prison, a sex offender. And so he sits in prison for a while. But he's a faithful, hard-working man of integrity. And he rides up, rises up to be the head jailer. And so then these two public officials get arrested, the cup baker, the cup bearer and the baker. They get thrown into prison with Joseph. And they have some dreams and they're all concerned about what the dreams mean. And Joseph tells them what the dream means. Well, the dream is that the baker's going to die, but the cup bearer's going to be promoted. So they get out of prison and they go to see Pharaoh. And that's exactly what happens. The baker gets impaled and the cup bearer gets his job back. But the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. So now Joseph, who was the interpreter of dreams, is now still stuck in prison. Time passes. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. Finally, the cupbearer wakes up one day and says, Oh, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. So they go get Joseph out of the prison, and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh likes the interpretation and the way he does it, so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of things. And the dream was there was going to be seven years of good crops followed by seven years of famine. So, okay, Joseph, you're in charge. Collect the grain for the seven years and disperse the grain for the seven years of famine. So he does. Now this famine is severe and Joseph's family back home is running out of food. So... Jacob, who's really old now, sends his sons down to Egypt to get some grain. And when they go down there, who do they run into but their dear old brother Joseph, whom they don't recognize, because he looks like an Egyptian now instead of an Israelite. So there's some shenanigans that go back and forth, and Joseph tests them a little bit, and then uh, sends them back home, and then they have to come back. Eventually, they all end up back in Egypt. And the whole family of Israel is saved because of Joseph. So what's the theme of Joseph's story? Well, it's redemption, right? And, and restoration and salvation. And so the favored son becomes a slave, who becomes a prisoner, who becomes the head of all Egypt, who becomes the provider of grain for his family, and he, he rescues the whole family. The beloved son became a slave. The slave became the master of Potiphar's house. The prisoner became the head jailer. The forgotten dream interpreter became the leader of Egypt. The betrayed brother became the restored brother. And the dreamer became the saver of the family. Now, this is a story about Joseph and his life. But your story is the same way. You don't have the same story as Joseph, but you have a story that you're living in. Your story is not about changing diapers and doing dishes, although that will be a part of your story. Your story is not about I had to go to work today, although that may be a part of your story. Your story 
is one of redemption and restoration and salvation. Your redemption, restoration, and salvation, but also of the people you come in contact with your kingdom. We're actively writing this story right now. And your interpretation and your view of the way you're writing your story will have a really big impact on what you do and how you live. So right now, let's say maybe you're on page 572 of your story, and you're dying to know what's going to happen on page 580. But you won't know until you get to page 580. But the reality of it is, your loving Heavenly Father is writing the story, and you, as His faithful Son, are co-authoring the story with Him. So what's going to happen on page 580? I don't know. But I'm not the end of the whip yanked around like a puppet master. I'm a co-author of the story. That means I have input into what's going to happen. I'm on page 572 and I'm wondering about 580. Can I have any impact on what's going to come about? Yes, I can. Now, will there be unexpected twists and turns? Oh, you know it right everybody's story is that way you think that you're just fine in the shire enjoying life and then the fellowship of the ring calls you out and you got to go take the ring back to, Mo to Mordor um, so over the past few weeks the sermons I've been preaching um, three weeks ago about how you are broken and you need healing and I do not mean to offend you when I say that you're broken. I just want to call it out the way it is. You're broken. I'm broken. We need a Savior who is able to heal. That's Jesus. You see, our story is one that's full of brokenness and wounding that left an impact on my heart and on your heart. And I made agreements with that story right the wounds came to me with a message about who i am and i picked that up and believed it about myself and that became my identity of what kind of a man i am and and how i will live and how i'll respond and then jesus comes and offers restoration the healing of my broken heart you can put all your emphasis and energy and striving on becoming a good person and your community will appreciate that you won't accomplish it you don't have the ability to accomplish it and even if you do it's not what the world needs what the world needs is people who have their heart healed so they're able to live L look at joseph is there anybody who has more reason to be bitter than joseph Look, I had dreams. I'm supposed to reign over my brothers. And they threw me in the pit. And now I'm down in Egypt. And every time it looks like it's starting to work out, the wheels fall off. Joseph could have e easily interpreted his life that way. Joseph didn't interpret his life that way, did he? When he, was in, when he became a slave... He was faithful and true as being a slave. When he became a prisoner, he was faithful and true at being that. God blessed and rewarded what he was, and he rose back to the top every time. 
again and again and again. That's your story. Well, life sucks, then you die. Is that your story? It's not the one God's writing, but it's the one, it's the story we write for ourselves with the help of our enemy. We take God out of it, and yeah, it's just one mistake after another, and I can't wait for it to end. That's not the story you've fallen into. You've fallen into a story that's eternal. And you're living in the middle of that now. Um, so your brokenness, you know, what did it do? You went from being the apple of your father's eye to being an orphan. Or, or you went from being highly favored to all alone. Or abused or neglected or overworked or manipulated or used. And, and it changed your name about who you are and the way you see yourself. That's why we need the healing of Jesus. Then the next week we talked about being one. The Father and the Son are one. And Jesus prayed that he and I would be one. Because to overcome my woundedness and brokenness and the fallen world, I need to have my heart healed and I need to be one with Jesus. Now, can you imagine what it would look like to live one with Jesus? See, I'm very used to living a, a double life, a double-minded man. I, I want this and I want that. And I like Romans 7 is the perfect diagram of that right this bad stuff i don't want to do well that's what i do and this good stuff i do want to do i don't do that that's a picture of not being one with jesus that's a process i know but it's possible to be one with jesus that i won't have this conflict that we can have peace because that's what true peace will be me and jesus one there's no there's no animosity. There's no friend and no foe in that. It's just friend. Oneness with Jesus. So here we are back in our story. And some disruption comes that breaks the peace. Trauma, tragedy, whatever it is, suffering. And tries to change my name. It tries to move me from beloved son to orphan tries to move me from ruler of my house to slave and in my past it's done that many times and now jesus has come and he's changed the kind of man i am so that when these attacks now come on me like joseph i don't have to fall into the pit every time I can climb back up quicker what's the theme of your story Yours is different than mine. Your skills, your abilities, your family, your birth order, it's not mine. It's not Joseph's. It's yours. It's unique to yours that God is writing. So, who are you in the story? Who are you? Who is God writing you to be? And is that different from who you are? 
What type of character are you? Okay, let's clear something up right away. You're not supporting actor. You're not part of the crowd. You have the leading role in your story. And the interesting thing about this story is, as God is co-authoring with you, the author of the story, Jesus, steps in to live into your story with you. And now you and Jesus together are living and writing out your story. What do you do for work? Well, I take seed and I put it in the ground. And in the fall, I take that, the corn that was raised from that and I put it in the grain bin. You see how small of a story that is? Another way to write that same story is I feed the nation. How do you view your story? Is it putting seed in the ground and then putting grain in the bin? Just a cog in the wheel, you know? Or is your life with purpose? Now, do we need people to feed the nation? Yes. Yes, we do. Can that be your godly calling? Yes, it could be. What's yours? What's yours, right? Well, I work at the car wash. Thank you. Why do you work at the car wash? Why are you there? What's your purpose there? To make cars clean? There's a larger story there, too. What is it? What has God called you into? What about you? I teach children to read and write. Again, thank you for that. But there's a larger story there, too. Pouring yourself into the life of the next generation by teaching them to read and write. What's your story? What's your purpose? So, Howard, Thur Howard Thurman said, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So I ask you today, what makes you come alive? Now, if it was graduation Sunday and I was talking to a bunch of high school 18-year-olds, we'd all be on board, right? This would be, yeah, I want to go do this in my life. And, and most of you are not 18 and not graduating this spring. You are all in different stages of life. Some of you have little kids. Some of you have big kids. Some of you have adult kids. Some of you have no kids at all. Some of you have grandkids. And some of you have great-great-grandkids. And this question applies to all of us. Every one of us. What makes you come alive? Now, I'm in my mid-50s-ish. And the answer to this question is different now than it was when I was 40 or 30 or 20 or in my teens. This answer changes and evolves because I am changing and evolving. And to have the same idea, well, I want to sail the seven seas and drill oil in the ocean. And probably as a 50-year-old, that ain't it. It ain't making me come alive. Maybe as a 20-year-old, it would have. I don't know. I'm asking you whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 
90. What makes you come alive? Go do that. Oh, Tony, I couldn't do that because I've got this and this and this. All right. Start changing the parts of your story so you can get rid of the things that are holding you back so that you can do the things that make you come alive. Right? I know you have obligations and debt and bills and family, and you can't just drop it all and go live on the mountains in Tibet. So get rid of your debt, find a way to provide for your children, and then go live on the mountain in Tibet, if that's what makes you come alive. Now, okay, neglecting your responsibilities in life feels like a right answer. But that's not the answer to run away, and I'm not telling you to run away from your responsibilities. I'm telling you you have those responsibilities and they're God-given. Because you have a family, you have children, you have neighbors, you have whatever you have. But, within that context, what makes you come alive? What do you really like to do? I, I, I'm asking again and again because I really want to give you a chance to think about it. What is it? In your day-to-day -day life right now, the things that you do, which of those things really makes you come alive? You know what I mean. Like, oh boy, I've got to do the dishes again. That's a picture of not coming alive, okay? But the thing that you're excited about, is it risky and dangerous and adventurous? Maybe. Might you fail? Probably. But oh, when it works, it's incredible. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. What makes you come alive? And that lion voice in your head that says, oh, you could never go do that. Shut that off. God, are you in this? This thing that makes me come alive? Are you in this? How could this happen? So, I remember talking to somebody back in the 80s at a church I was going to, and they said, do you think you could ever be a preacher? And I said, I don't know if I could or not, but I think I'd like to someday. Then at about 1992 the Christian Center had a vacancy in the pulpit. And we agreed to take turns preaching until we found a new preacher. At some point, although not officially, we quit looking. And it's 25 years later. And you know what makes me coming alive? Standing up here talking to people or talking to anywhere, anybody, about the things of the kingdom, about the love of Jesus, about restoration and life and freedom and the story that you're living in. That makes me come alive. Did I have some big plan of how that happened? Well, it was unbeknownst to me. But God was writing a story, and I got to co-author with him. What was my part? Well, I studied the scripture a lot back in the 80s. So I'd know what the Bible said. Now, frankly, at this age, I've forgotten most of what I knew, but the Holy Spirit still works. What makes you come alive? Well, I like to ride my motorcycle. Well, that's pretty shallow. 
All right, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe riding my motorcycle is when God restores my heart and fills the wellspring of life back up so that when I'm back around people, I have more life to give. Or maybe God has a plan that some kind of motorcycle thing is going to work out in my life and I can combine motorcycles and talking to Jesus, talking about Jesus. See, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I'm in if it does. I like the outdoors. Sitting in a tree makes me come alive in the mornings when it's dark and then it, you know. What makes you come alive? Where are you the most alive? Because the world needs you to be alive. Jesus and the kingdom needs you to be alive. How will you get from here to there? I don't know. And it's not all up to you. You have a role to play in getting there, but it's not all up to you. The author of the story, the co-author, is working things out. As you pursue and follow him. So, we use lots of strange words around here, or I do. Like, I, I say that you have a kingdom. Right? Each one of you has a kingdom. And maybe the only thing in your kingdom is you. But maybe your kingdom involves a spouse and children and a home and vehicles and a job and, and a team and a, a Sunday school class. Who knows what is in your kingdom? Maybe you're the mayor of a great city and that's part of your kingdom. I don't know. But I know that here today, where we are now, is becoming a good king. Like the story we saw of Joseph. See, Joseph became a good king even though he never was Pharaoh, he had a great kingdom. He was over all of Egypt, in charge of all of the grain that kept the whole area alive. And how did he get there? By being a slave. And so as you're looking back at your story and you see, oh, that didn't work, and that didn't work, and the wheels fell off that, and there's another failure... The theme of your story is not you are a loser and then you die. It's not the theme of your story. The theme of your story is God is molding you and training you and making you strong through tragedy and suffering that he does not provide but he uses to turn you in to a great mighty king who can reign well. Because you know at the renewal of all things we reign with Jesus for a thousand years means we're going to be kings then too. So, are you becoming a good king? Is your story one of you being a good king? It is. Step into that. See it the way it is. Last thing I wrote down here was there's no expiration date on your story. Satan tries to tell us that it's too late. We missed it. Especially people in my generation, we're always saying that. Well, I always wanted to do such and such, but I didn't get to. That's a lie. Okay? There are things in life that in this body and in this time I'm not going to be able to do. doesn't mean that my future doesn't hold that. And 
I say that to give you hope because in the coming kingdom, all things are made new. I get a new body. This body, while handsome, has never been very athletic. <laughs> Maybe the next one will be, right? It will be made in God's glory. You know, I'll get my Adam body. Hebrews says we're going to be handsome. What's coming? That's what's coming. Preparation now for then. And, and not just that this is waste. This is valuable now too. You realize you have the words of life and death. That the things you say. I think Jesus said it this way. The things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Realize the consequences of your actions here? It's huge. So what kind of story have you fallen into? Where are you at in this story? What's your role in this story? Who are you? What story is being written? It's a trivial way to look at it, I understand. But I was hoping maybe, by talking about your story, to give you the idea that you are not just a puppet. You play a major role in your story. You're a co-author, working with the good, good father to write your story. What kind of story have you fallen into? And what story are you writing? And how is God using you to bring his glory into this kingdom now? You know, we pray all the time, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How is God using you for thy kingdom come and thy will be done? How are you into that story? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the story that you are writing in our lives. I thank you for the story I'm in. And, and I don't know what's coming tomorrow or the next day or how, how things will work out, but I trust you, God. And I know you do. And I can't wait to see how it turns out. Here, here I am, willing to co-author with you, to take the turns and twists of life that are presented to me with your glory, Jesus, living with you as you continue to heal my broken heart and to restore me. Um, Jesus, this is exciting. Thank you for the desires you have given me. Help me to see how to live out those desires in the kingdom and how to play the role, the part that you have played for me that I can facilitate life and freedom through you, Jesus, for those I come in contact with. That those who currently, their path and their story is one that ends in their death and destruction. That our lives might intersect and interchange, interconnect because of you, Jesus. That I can bring the words of life that they could listen to the Holy Spirit, place their faith in you, Jesus, and their path can change too. Oh, glorify yourself through us, Jesus. Continue writing these beautiful stories that you have begun. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.